if you have a story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to submit your story. Also, if the platform you're listening on has the option to rate this podcast, please consider doing so. And thank you. This happened to me when I, female, was about 18, around six years ago. I had just graduated high school and was still living at home with my parents, as I figured out what I wanted to do for my future. I was working full-time, but outside of that, I was at home hanging out with my parents, or just hanging out in my room. Sometimes I would meet up with a few of my closest friends, but for the most part, we would all talk in a group or play games together. Life just kind of took up a lot of our time after school. And that's where Facebook also helped too. I've had one since I was about 14, and I've mostly used it to see what my old friends were up to or to save a bunch of memes that I'll never look at again. Then, one day I got a message request, as well as a friend request, from someone that I didn't know. No profile said Gabe, and he just had some generic stock photo that was a silhouette of a dog and a man walking on a beach at sunset. It was one of those that I would expect to see it, some kind of inspirational quote going across the bottom. Other than his name and the single picture, there was nothing really else on the account. Not even a birthday or location. It was almost like this account was just recently made. Then, there was the message that he sent. I remember basically what it said, but I no longer have it. Hello, Feliz. My name is Gabe. I saw your picture, and I think you're very beautiful. I would love to get to know you. Please, accept my friend request and message me back. Thank you. I was a bit surprised, but not alarmed or creeped out in the slightest. I just assumed that it was some random guy who found my profile... Maybe through mutual friends, or maybe a friend's account was hacked, and I was just his next target. Either way, I decided to ignore his message and deleted his friend request, not really thinking much of it. However, I got another message request from him exactly a week later. This time he sounded a bit more desperate, and this message I kept for reasons you'll soon understand too. Hello, Feliz. This is Gabe again. I messaged you a few days ago, but I never got a reply. I really want to talk to you. You're the most gorgeous woman I have ever seen. Please, accept my friend request and message me back. I promise you, I'm a nice guy, and you won't regret it. By this point, I was annoyed, but there were also some things I was curious about. Like, why me? How did he find and choose me in the first place? Did we have any mutual friends or something? So I went back to his profile to see if maybe I missed something, looking for his friends list for any mutuals, but it was barren. There were still no posts or photos, and he had a handful of friends, all of which looked pretty basic too. This only solidified my thought that it was a scammer even more. So I figured there was no harm in responding to either see how they found me, 
or maybe I could just waste a scammer's time. I did not accept his new friend request. Instead, I just left it there and replied to his message with something simple. Hello, who are you? Do I know you? To my surprise, he replied before I could close Facebook. Hi, I'm so happy to hear from you. My name is Gabe, I'm 29, and I live in a state north of you. I found you through a mutual friend. You don't know me, but I would love to get to know you more. You are so beautiful, and I cannot stop thinking about you. Can we get together soon? I was confused and quite honestly taken aback by how blunt he was, not to mention his age. How could a 29-year-old have a mutual friend with a 19-year-old? I couldn't think of anyone around that age or anyone that would hang out with a 29-year-old, let alone from another state. So I was curious who this mutual friend was, so I asked him. He seemed to avoid the question, and instead just became more pushy. Our friend showed me your picture, and I was so blown away by your beauty. You have a gorgeous smile. I want to see more of you. Please, accept my friend request, and we can exchange photos. I would love some personal photos of you. I was pretty well creeped out at this point. It seemed less like a scam, but this guy was obviously obsessed, which was not healthy and downright disturbing that he was saying this to a 19-year-old. So, I responded trying to be polite, for some reason. I just said that I wasn't interested in him, and since I didn't even know who he was, I didn't think it would be a good idea, and that was it. But he still did not seem to get it or let up. No, please don't go. I love you. You're the only one for me. We were meant to be together. I know it. Please don't reject me. I need you in my life. So, clearly this guy was delusional. He didn't even know me, and he claimed he loved me. It was beyond creepy, if not pathetic, dare I say it. I hope no one is silly enough to follow up with these type of confessions. I didn't know what to say to him, so I just blocked his account and hoped that that would be the end of it. But, of course, it wasn't. I got another message request the next day from a different account. The profile picture was a crappy screenshot of my profile picture, with a heart around it, and the profile name was I Love Her. And this Gabe person had made a brand new account, sent another friend request and message. They basically said the same thing, about how they miss me and they want me to talk to them. This guy was persistent, and still very much creeping me out, so I didn't even respond. I reported his account since he was using my picture and then blocked him. But it seems like every time I blocked him, he would make or have a new account. I couldn't seem to win or get him to understand that I was not interested. But then, I got a familiar looking email that made me pay attention. I didn't use my email as often after high school, so when I saw what looked like a personal email, I checked it. It was Gabe. 
He said that he had found my email and wanted to try to reach me by it instead. He then said that he found out more about me and pretty much just listed random things about me. He knew what high school I graduated from. He knew the company that I worked for, but didn't give the exact store location. He also listed the city that I lived in. He knew the name of my parents and my cat, and claimed to have even seen me in person. He followed all that up with saying that he was hoping that we could meet up soon. He made it seem like I would appreciate it more that he knew so much about me, or that maybe I would take it as a threat, and either way, would meet up with him. One thing was for sure, I definitely took it as a threat, and I was freaking out. Did this guy really see me somewhere? He said that he lived in a different state, so did he really travel to try to find me? But instead of meeting up with him, I mentioned it to my parents. I knew this was no longer something that I could handle alone, and they needed to know, even if it was kind of embarrassing for me. They, of course, took it very seriously, and told me that I should have mentioned it to them sooner, just so they could know and possibly help, but otherwise they were very supportive. They took me to the police station to ask what we could do, since we didn't even know what the guy looked like, or if Gabe was his real name. The police seemed to feel the same way, and since we couldn't ID the guy and he hadn't really done anything yet, there wasn't much we could do. They suggested that I get a new email address and Facebook, or just get rid of them in general to try to avoid him. So, ultimately, that's what I did. To my surprise, it seemed to actually work. I changed my name on my new Facebook, I used a picture of my cat instead of myself, and my email was very professional sounding. I needed one of those anyways, so I hoped that he wouldn't be able to find me. I didn't receive any more messages, friend requests, or emails from him, and I started going back to live life as normal. But then, I got a package in the mail. I order stuff from different places all the time, so I didn't hesitate to open it. And yes, I know how dangerous that is, and I pay more attention to packages before I open them now. Inside the box was a jewelry box with a ring inside, as well as a card, and the card said happy anniversary, which was weird, so I thought that this couldn't possibly be for me, but then I read the card. I no longer have it, but basically it said, I hope that you like this, and I hope you understand how serious I am about you. I love you, and I will make you mine. See you soon, Gabe. I lost it, and immediately showed my parents what it was. There was no return label, so once again, we couldn't even see where it came from. They brought it back to the police station who agreed to take it, and see if there was a way they could trace it, but they told us not to get our hopes up. I was worried about how much this guy knew, so my parents suggested that I go and stay at my grandma's place for a little bit, and I even contemplated switching stores that I worked at. My grandma lived about 20 miles from my parents, and there was another store closer to her, and I realized that I didn't want to drive that far daily for work. Thankfully, they were willing to let me transfer, 
and for some reason, not being around people I knew, it made me more comfortable. I still didn't know if that gay person truly knew a mutual friend, and if so, if the mutual friend gave them any information about me. It's pretty messed up for them to do that, if so, but I still haven't figured that part out. Once I moved, my parents said that I got another package, and after confirming it wasn't something that I ordered, they marked it as returned to sender, saying that that was not my address anymore. They said the post office told them to do so, and even if there wasn't a return address, they would take care of it. Whatever that meant. For whatever reason, though, I never got another package, and I never received any more messages. I guess maybe he either gave up, or if they were messing with me, they figured they did enough damage. The situation was really rough for me. The creep was unsettling enough, but they left a lingering thought that there may be people out there, people that I thought I could trust, that were putting me in potential danger, which did ultimately affect some of my friendships. I'm still working on that. I just hope that I never have to deal with Gabe or anyone he associated with ever again. Other than the haunted dorm, where Baby the kleptomaniac philodendron, if you remember those stories, stole its first balloon, I've only had one experience that some might consider a human ghost. I'm not going to give you the particulars of where the classroom was, as that's one of those truth-is-stranger-than-fiction things, but it was used as a lab for the storage and study of human skeletal elements. We would be in there all of an evening, studiously concentrating on learning to identify whole and fragmentary elements. One of our study techniques was to ask a neighbor to hand you a bone while your eyes were closed, and then practice identifying it by the feel, because that was part of the final exam, and you just need to know them that well. But, occasionally, I would turn to a neighbor only to realize that no one was there. You know how it is when someone is beside you. You might be concentrating on something else, but you are aware of their presence. Glimpses out of the corner of your eye, that kind of thing. It was like that. So yes, I was distracted and completely absorbed by my studying. So it might just have been that, but I have a lot of university credit hours, and I took it very seriously. I have also been in a lot of rooms where human skeletal remains were stored and studied, some with thousands such individuals and usually dimly lit with few, if any, living humans as company. But that was the only place I ever had that experience. No, most of the experiences I've had that one might call ghostly were of animals. I say experiences rather than ghosts because, while I don't have an immediate explanation that I find satisfactory, I'm not ruling out a natural cause. For example... The night after I had to put one of my cats to sleep, I felt him jump on the foot of the bed, and stalk the length of my mattress, and curl up against my back. I was awake, but it might have been something hypnagogic. Likewise, 
The time I was driving before dawn when I saw a man cross the road ahead of me. He was being followed by a little white dog. It would pause to sniff something fascinating and then dash to catch up, or run off to a side to investigate something. But always it hurried back to the man's heels. But then I passed by the man and realized there was no dog. He was on a sidewalk with an empty, but for me, four-lane road on one side and an even more empty grocery store parking lot on the other. There was no place for a dog to hide, but it was gone. I was leaving work a couple of hours before dawn, following my usual schedule, and nothing like that had happened before or since. But maybe that was something hypnagogic too. Another time something happened in the middle of the afternoon, so it had nothing to do with sleep or the lack thereof. I had three black cats, but one of them had been missing for several days. That afternoon, I had opened the back door and all three ran in. What a relief. I closed the door and went to check on the formerly missing kitty, and he was nowhere to be found. Sadly, two days later, the dog had dug his remains out from under the shed. He'd been dead for as long as he'd been missing, but maybe seeing him that last time was a trick of my brain. A replay of past events based on hopes and expectations. My sister's experience is harder to explain as it involves multiple witnesses and physical objects. And she worked at a pachyderm house at a zoo. Again, not going to tell you where. And suffice to say, the building was the original facility from the bad old days when elephants were chained and handled harshly. They have a new, much nicer building now, and my sister was hired expressly because she knew how to train an animal without making physical contact. There were no chains in the facility, and spaces where elephants were once kept had been repurposed for storage. But many times the keepers would hear the sound of chains dragging across the concrete, and sometimes the heavy scoop shovel stored where once elephants had been pinned would lift off of the wall and fly across the room with great force. And... You'd best hope that you weren't in the way when that happened. Hey, Raven. I just wanted to say thank you for giving our stories a platform. I appreciate all that you do. Now, on to my experience. I'm not sure where to start this, but... I will acknowledge that there are some religious-slash-biblical references. I understand that this is not for everyone, and can even add an extra layer of skepticism for some. However, every bit of this is factual, and the timing of everything was too coincidental to not take a spiritual aspect into consideration. Now, on to the weird story that was, or is, my life. At the end of the 70s, my mother had gotten pregnant with me, and she was pushed to get married to my father. My mother was only 17 and my father 19. They rented a little two-bedroom apartment in a tiny Midwestern farming town, and their relationship could be described as tumultuous and extremely violent, just as her childhood had been. By the time I was three years old, they had gone their separate ways after my father tried to yeet my mom from this planet. I want to say yes, the story does say yeet, so I didn't just say that to censor something. 
By four years old, my mom moved us out of that apartment and in with my stepfather, who went on to adopt myself and my middle sister when I was nine. They are still married to this day. Years passed, and at 19 I found myself apartment hunting, because I was having a child of my own. A few years and two apartments later, at 22, I signed a lease in the same apartment building that my parents had previously lived in before divorcing. I was aware that they had lived in the unit directly below mine, but was not yet aware of all the evil things that my biological father had done there. A few months into living there, I made friends with the neighbors below me, in my parents' old unit. I began to take my toddler down with me to visit, and she would color or watch TV while we chatted. Even though the neighbors didn't have kids, they went out of their way to make sure that my child had crayons, coloring books, juice, and teddy grams when we visited. She always seemed so content, until one day. We had some children's song playing on the stereo, and my two-and-a-half-year-old was fine just coloring at the coffee table near us while we talked. The next thing I know, she starts into the worst tantrum ever, up to that point. I kept asking what was wrong, but got no answer. She was completely inconsolable, and any attempt I made to touch her or get near her would result in her doing anything to hurt me. She would hit, kick, bite, claw, and just scream bloody murder. Thankfully, the neighbor guy slung her over his shoulder and carried her upstairs to our place. I asked him to lay her in her bed, and within 30 seconds of her body being in that bed, she went from complete hysterics to totally calm. She asked what had happened. She said that she was hungry and tired. I asked over and over again what had just happened, but she would only say, I don't know. It's like she had no recollection of the situation at all. Life went on, and of course, I was puzzled by it. But I chalked it up to her just being a tired toddler. We continued to visit the neighbors, and things were fine once again. Unfortunately, that only lasted about two weeks. This is when the entire situation repeated. Only this time, she seemed to be extremely strong, and was able to not only scratch the hell out of my chest but also yanked a chunk of my hair out. She was never aggressive or violent towards anyone but me during these fits, and she was never aggressive towards me before or after them. Not even 48 hours after the second occurrence, and without having discussed this with anyone, my mom shows up on my doorstep with her Bible. She told me that she was awakened in the middle of the night and was told by a voice to get to her Bible. She says that she picked it up and was shown the book of Matthew, verses 44 and 45. Her interpretation of these verses apparently prompted her to come over and to warn me not to enter the downstairs apartment. I was so caught off guard and my heart started racing. I asked, why? She informed me that my biological father had done some type of evil seance involving me, and he had burned her Bible in the process. She said that according to the Bible, if someone does evil in a dwelling and the next of kin later returns, demons will attach to them, and bring along seven other demons. My mind was 
absolutely blown. Because I had not discussed the situation, or that I had even made friends with those neighbors. I truly believed that my kid was just overly tired, hangry, and or both. After thinking about the smaller details of the situation, things like the loss of memory, immediate extreme shift in mood, and suddenly exhaustion, I honestly have to question whether I witnessed my child being possessed and then released once those entities had made their way into my home, where they could access me. Within weeks of all of this happening, the neighbors moved away, and no one moved in the rest of my lease, about four months. My life also took a downhill spiral after this. I lost my job, I lost my car, I was forced to drop out of college with only three credits needed to get my degree. I eventually got evicted, and about eight months after everything happened to my baby, I found out that her daddy had hurt her in a way that no one should have to experience, let alone a child, during that weekend's visitation. Even though I reported it, and she did too, nothing came of it, except he no longer gets to be around her. I swear my whole life fell apart. I'm now in my mid-forties and can still feel the attachment. I know that it's still here. I just try to ignore its presence. It's been with me no matter where I move. Not only can I feel it, but it sometimes messes with me. Like when I'm standing across the room from the kitchen trash can, but somehow it still opens and closes three times. I've knocked on the bathroom door and been told, I'm busy, even though I'm home alone. I've learned to live with it. I always have a hard time believing that people could hear the voice of God, let alone my mom, until this all occurred. I can't explain away how my mom would have any clue about what we had seen. I was living 20 miles away and was also very low contact with my family. We have no friends in common. The town has a population of only 254 people, none of whom I knew prior to meeting the neighbors. There was just no other possible way for her to have known. I have a thing that happened to me a couple of years ago that scared the hell out of me, and I thought that your audience would at least find it interesting and creepy. It was a pretty normal day, a fairly basic day off which meant that it was either a Thursday or a Friday. Back then, I lived in a townhome that was owned by and on the edge of an apartment complex. It was a day off, and on the first day off, I always take care of my grocery shopping and any other random things I have to do. Because of this, I'm usually not home from 10 in the morning to sometime in the afternoon or evening. I know this sounds like it's irrelevant, but it actually does matter as to what happened, because it sets the scene a little bit. On this particular day, I had spent the entire day out doing a ton of errands, and at the end of the day I had to go grocery shopping. After I did my shopping, I got home and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. I pushed the door open, 
and the first thing that I did out of habit was reach for the light switch. It clicked, the overhead light clicked on and flooded the room, and then I turned into the main part of my living room. Much to my surprise, it wasn't just the normal empty room. There was a man sitting in my armchair, a complete stranger just sitting there. He was wearing fairly nondescript clothing, jeans, a black t-shirt, and a black leather or pleather jacket. He was literally just sitting there and staring off into the room. He didn't even acknowledge that I had entered my home. For a few seconds, or maybe a few minutes, I don't really know, I just stood there with my four grocery bags in one hand and my keys in the other. My mind was racing through every terrifying possibility. Was this man going to rob me? Attack me? Did I upset someone to the point that they had sent an assassin to my house? That's how weird it was. My brain was going through all possibilities. The man didn't move for several moments. He just sat there and stared out into the room like he was in a meditative state, or sedated or something. I stood there, frozen in fear and confusion, and was slowly trying to reach for my pepper spray that was clipped to the purse that I had accidentally dropped when I jumped the moment I saw him. Then, as abruptly as the whole event had started, the man stood up from the chair. He stood up slowly, and again I started thinking he was about to leap on me. As soon as he stood up completely, he let out a slight sigh and said, Well, I should probably get going. He didn't look at me, didn't acknowledge me, just said what he said completely devoid of all emotion and then walked past me toward the door. He got close enough to me that I could smell the tobacco on his clothing. I remained completely rooted to the spot that I was in, actually too scared to even move at this point. He just reached for the front door, pulled it open, stepped outside onto the front porch, and then disappeared into the night. Just like that, he was gone. Once I finally managed to move, the first thing I did was lock the door. The second thing was call the police. I tried to explain the whole situation, and then within minutes, there was a cruiser right outside my front door. I told them all about how he was just in my house, how he didn't do anything other than say that he should go, and then he left. I described him as best as I could, told them what he was wearing, what he looked like, etc. The officers were thorough, but thankfully gentle with how they asked things, because I was freaking out. They cleared the rest of the townhome, confirmed that nothing looked ransacked, and that they couldn't find any signs of forced entry. They then said that they would patrol to see if they could find this mystery man. When they left, I confirmed what they said. All the windows were shut and locked, nothing was missing. If this man hadn't been obviously a physical person that opened the door, I would have honestly thought that it was a damn ghost. I have no idea how he got into my home. I have no idea why he was there. I have literally zero knowledge as to why he was in my townhome, sitting in my chair and just waiting. This was a pretty major violation of my security. 
and I ended up buying a doorbell camera for my front door. I needed something to make me feel safer, and a camera was the only thing that gave me the slightest semblance of security. For the first few days, every time I got the notification of motion, I would check it, thinking that it was going to show me someone opening my front door and walking in, but it never was that, thankfully. The cops never found the guy, and I never saw him again, and thankfully nothing like this has ever happened again. Despite that, that night was probably the most terrifying thing that has ever happened to me. To enter my home and to have a stranger sitting in my chair like that, only to have them just stand up and walk out, it was surreal. So, again, I know that not a lot happened here, but I thought that your listeners could find the creepiness in the whole situation, and I hope that I never see that man again. I used to be a pretty heavy user of social media pages like Insta, Facebook, and so forth. I'm part of the age group that has pretty much always known them. When I was a very young kid, they were coming into popularity. So when I hit my adult years, I was well-versed on pretty much all of them. And I had these stupid delusions that I would one day be an influencer. So I had a page on every single one of these apps. I liked to make content for people to enjoy. I think it was more about the self-satisfaction of getting the likes and comments, but I also had a personal side where I would keep up with my friends and family. They were two separate accounts, and never the twain shall meet, as they say. I kept my personal life away from my influencer life, and vice versa. Unfortunately, I did break my own rule one time, and that was the worst decision I could have ever made, because it led to what I have to say is the most terrifying thing that has ever happened to me. Before I start, I want to mention that when I say that I was an influencer, I mean that I was just a micro-celebrity on these platforms. I wasn't a huge name, and I did not have a massive following. I had enough of a following for it to be neat and to get that dopamine rush, but I wasn't shilling eyeglass brands or meal kits. I barely even ever got paid for anything that I did. Nothing wrong with those that do. I say get that cash, but I never hit that point. Anyways, one day on my personal account, I got a friend request from a girl named Alara. It was a name that sounded familiar, but I wasn't 100% certain where I had seen it. I sat on it for a day or two, thinking that it sounded super familiar, so it was likely someone from high school or something. And after that, I figured I would go ahead and accept it. I then got a direct message from her that said, Oh my god, I'm such a fan of your content, girl. You are such a blessing. At this point it clicked. This wasn't a friend. This was a fan of my other stuff. And she'd somehow found my personal page. I was always pretty careful with not putting out who I was 
on any of my influencer pages. I never mentioned my real first name, never said my last name. I always referred to myself by a nickname that I'd been given a long time ago. How she found out my name, I do not know, but she did, and I had made the mistake of adding her on my personal page. Because I didn't want to be rude, I wanted to keep up that I was a nice person. I responded and said, Hey, thanks. This is my personal page, though. I don't use it for that stuff, but I do appreciate it. Elara then replied with a heart and said that she was so happy that I added her because she wanted to be besties with me. I just kind of accepted it and thought, Okay, well... I guess I have a super fan. <laughs> Hopefully this doesn't go south. It did. It did go south. After a bit of talking back and forth, I thought that Lara was alright. But then she would message me in the middle of the night saying things like, I have a great idea for a video that you could do. Or, hey, you should go check out this brand of makeup. Maybe they'll sponsor you. Which would be fine if they were just that, but... She would send it and then send things like, Hello? Within five minutes. And then would go on and on about how I wasn't talking to her. Again, this was the middle of the night. I was sleeping. But if I didn't reply to her, she would accuse me of being rude or ignoring her. And then would go on about how she was going to ruin my career and get me cancelled. After a while, like two days... I got pretty well fed up with it, so I messaged Alara back, asking what was wrong with her, and why she was being like this toward me. She then launched into a long-winded apology, saying that she had issues, and that she didn't mean to be rude to me, that she loved me and that she didn't have any friends. Stupid me bought into this, saying that it was okay as long as she understood that it was inappropriate and that she needed to take a step back. She didn't, of course. Literally the next day, she started sending me her ideas, and when I didn't reply to her immediately, because I was at work, like my actual job, she started going on about how she was going to hurt herself because she had hurt me, and that I hated her, and so forth. I finally messaged her again, saying that if she had all these great ideas, that she should start her own channel-slash-page, and that, unfortunately, the friendship was not going to work out, as I didn't have the energy to deal with her. After I sent this message, I unfriended her and then immediately blocked her. I figured that that would be the end of it, that she would get the hint and maybe get some help. I really didn't need to deal with a really awkward parasocial relationship like that, and I wasn't going to, since I had the ability to block her. I wish that that was the end of it, but a couple of days later, I got a package at my apartment. It was marked as being from Amazon, so I thought nothing of it, thinking I probably ordered something and just forgot about it. I opened it, and inside was a stuffed cat that looked exactly like my actual, in-real-life cat. It had one of those little gift tags that you can send with items on Amazon, and it said, I'm so sorry, please forgive me, 
and it was signed as being from Alara. Two things about this. Obviously, I never gave her my address, nor is it on my Facebook anywhere. And to the best of my knowledge, my cat had never been in any of my photos on my influencer page, nor my personal page. I had only had her for a month, maybe two, and I hadn't taken pictures of her for my socials, mostly because that just wasn't something that I did. Yet, somehow, she knew what my cat looked like, and my home address. I honestly had no idea what I should do, so I called my dad about it and asked him for some advice. He mentioned that it was unsettling, and told me to ask my apartment office if I could install one of those doorbell cameras. I thought it was a great idea, and I decided that I would do that ASAP. And, of course, as soon as possible was not soon enough. About three days after I got the package, I was at home making dinner for myself, and I got a knock on the door. I wasn't expecting anyone, so I was a bit confused, and I opened the door with the chain attached, thankfully. On the other side was a young woman that looked vaguely familiar, but it didn't click who it was at first. I asked her if I could help her, and she looked at me offended at first, and then followed that up with, You don't recognize me? It's me, Alara. Okay. At this point, I will say that inside, I was freaking the F out. But on the outside, I knew that I needed to be firm with her and tell her that she needed to leave me alone. So I did. She then started sobbing and then screaming at me, saying that she had driven all the way from Arizona to meet me. I know that I haven't mentioned where I lived in this story, but let me just say that I am closer to New York than I am Arizona. Like, significantly closer. I really didn't know how to deal with this, so I just reiterated that she needed to leave me alone, and that what she was doing was stalking, and that as much as I didn't want to hurt her, she needed to go home and forget that I ever existed. I then pushed the door shut and locked it, which was immediately followed by her screaming loudly and banging on the door, and then kicking my door repeatedly and saying that she wasn't going to leave until I came out, and that when I came out, she would show me what she was capable of. I did call 911, and I told them to get an officer there as quickly as possible, that someone was trying to break into my apartment, and the whole time I was on the phone with dispatch holding a damn kitchen knife and standing in the middle of my living room thinking my door was going to give, she just kept kicking it over and over, the entire time while I was waiting for officers to show up. After what felt like forever, I finally heard a voice shout that she needed to get down and put her hands behind her head. I thought for sure that she was going to comply, that surely she wasn't crazy enough to do anything else. And then I heard her shout, You're gonna have to effing kill me! Shoot me! Followed by more shouting and then a screaming noise and an officer shouting, Taser. I kept my place in the middle of the living room, just waiting for whatever was happening out there to clear up. 
and about ten minutes after all of that, one of the officers knocked on my door. Yeah, that was a fun chat that we had. I mentioned that she was a stalker from the internet, and that I had no idea how she found where I lived. He then mentioned that it was a really good thing that I called, and that I didn't open my door, because she had a knife on her, a rather large one, in her hands. Thankfully, they were able to take her down with a taser shot, and he mentioned that he was seriously worried that one of them was going to have to use lethal force, and he really didn't want that to happen. She was, obviously, charged with a handful of things, and I'm pretty sure she ended up in prison for a while. This was the absolute end of my influencer career, as small as it was. I deleted my accounts, I opened new Facebook accounts that were fully locked down, and re-added only my family and closest of friends, and my social media obsession was pretty much over. Alara obviously had some problems, and she needed help, and I'm very hopeful that she got the help that was necessary, but honestly, as bad as it may make me sound, I'm glad that she went away for what she did. If I hadn't chained the door, I'd very likely had been dead. If those officers had gone straight for their guns, she likely would have been dead. Thankfully, no one involved did die, but it's terrifying to think just how close it really was. These are four experiences from my youth. Number one, pranked. I was completely home alone one evening. I turned off the TV in my bedroom. It was a 90s style TV box. Anyway, I go to shower, and when I got out of the shower, the TV wouldn't turn back on. Did the power go off? No. All the lights are on, so the power isn't out. Maybe the TV's power cord got loose. I checked behind the TV. It wasn't just the power cord. It was also the cord to my VCR and cable box. All three cables had been disconnected. All three. Did someone come home and try to play a prank on me? No. A quick tour of the house confirmed that I was home alone. And how would they have known that I was watching TV before I showered? Oh, my goodness. Had someone broken in to try to steal my TV? I don't think so. I hadn't noticed anything just moments ago. Plus, why would they want my ratty old TV when there's much nicer stuff in the house? Including a nicer TV in the living room. Another quick tour of the house this time, looking under the beds and in the closets. I even went into my parents' bathroom and peeked in the shower. Nothing. No one. Back in my room, I plugged all the cables back in, and with as much courage and calmness as I could muster, I said something like, Okay, you got me. I didn't think that was funny. Please don't do that again. I went about my evening until my parents and sibling came back home. 2. Disembodied Voices It was about 2 in the morning, and I had just hung up the phone with my girlfriend, when I heard what I thought was muffled voices over white noise. Maybe a TV was on. 
My sibling, a room over, was scared of the dark and would usually put the TV on a sleep setting. I thought maybe they just forgot to do that. When I opened the bedroom door, the voices sounded lower, but the white noise sounded louder, and as if it were coming from the direction of my sibling's bedroom. I made my way to the bedroom, but when I put my ear up to the door, the noise now sounded like it was coming from the living room, at the front of the house. Maybe this was some sort of nighttime Doppler effect thing? I made my way to the living room, down a T-shaped hallway, and the noise gets louder. But as soon as I come to the front of the house that opens up into the living room, nothing. The silence. The noise is completely gone. 3. Did the dark just play a trick on me? I felt hands gently shake me awake right at my shoulder and chest. When I opened my eyes, I saw a figure in the shape of a man, but darker than the dark of my bedroom, kneeling at my bedside. The second I saw it, I knew that it was not a man, but I don't know how I knew that. And I knew that it didn't want to harm me, just wake me up. A second later, it stood up and took a step back and then completely vanished. I then sat up and looked around. And number four, WTFH. Something startled me awake, and when it did, I was wide awake and afraid. Suddenly, I heard what sounded like a plastic bag being ruffled at the doorway to my bedroom. I couldn't explain why that noise was so scary, but I was basically terrified when the noise moved from the door to the center of my bedroom, to the foot of my bed, and then to right next to my bed. I was panicking. What the freaking hell is going on? But I was so scared that I was frozen. The only thing I could move was my eyes. Suddenly the noise was gone, but I felt something straddle me. Like, literally there was this pressure on my hips and on my chest. And that's when I squeezed my eyes shut and tried to make myself sit up, but failed. I couldn't move. I then felt this odd, wispy-like presence hover right above my mouth, almost like a feathered kiss to my lips. And then it was gone. To date... These have been the only paranormal experiences that I have encountered. Experience number one was the first one and number two followed, but I don't remember which came next, whether it was number three or number four. These all happened while I was in high school, so sometime between 1998 to 2002. Over 20 years ago now. Thanks for reading. I'm currently 18 and female, but the situation happened in 2021. At the time, I was 16. It was afternoon, around 3.30pm, and I was returning home from class. At the time, there was a high spread of COVID-19, so school was happening online, but I had no other option than to go take the notes from my teacher, as there was an important exam that we had nearby. Normally, I wasn't allowed to go outside because my knowledge of roads and areas was pretty poor, but my teacher's house was about three kilometers away, and on the same route as our old apartment, so they let me. 
on the way there, there was this Fuchka stand, a popular, affordable, and delicious snack in our country, where I knew the shopkeeper since childhood. While I was walking home from my teacher's place after fetching the notes, I decided to snack on some of those Fuchka and have a chat with the kind shopkeeper. The roads were kind of empty at the time, and most of the shops were closed. Only a few passerbys were here and there. As I was eating, I felt someone touch my hair suddenly from behind, which startled me. I had a ponytail. When I turned around, it was an older woman who looked homeless, probably in her 60s, early 70s, and just smiling at me. She asked if I could buy her the snacks. At the time, I kind of felt awkward, and I didn't know how to deny her, so I just said yeah, sure, even though I didn't carry enough money. I just asked the kind shopkeeper to give her my part of the snack that was left. I didn't really mind this, but when I started to leave, she grabbed my right hand tightly and said, God bless you, child. If I could see my granddaughter, she would be just like you. And things like that. I was awkwardly smiling and nodding at the time because I was uncomfortable. I did try to pull my hand away from her grip politely, but she didn't budge. Then... She started talking about how she raised her daughter and son, and how her drunkard but rich husband used to beat both of them up, and pretty much assault them, and how she kept silent about all of it because of the money, and later on when her children grew up and got jobs and got married, her husband got into gambling and lost all of his money, then went into debt, and died of liver failure. Now she was helpless, she went to her children, but they resented her because they were greedy, so they didn't help her, as they were happily settled into their lives. She told me how she lost everything and stuff like that for the next two hours. I did sympathize with her, but at the same time, I had to return home because I was late. The woman had very eerie body language. She later on asked me about where I lived, and Dummy at the time told her about it. She asked my dad's name, so I told her. And she said that she knew him, and started saying things like how he was a nice man. That wasn't a surprise to me, as my dad is popular around the locality, as he's a helpful person who participates in charity work and things like that. So, I don't know what got into me, but I asked her for a description of my dad, and she literally described him total opposite. She just described my physical characteristics, but the thing is, I look like my mother, and me and my dad don't have similar body skin colors or height, even though I do have his smile and nose. I said okay and tried to pull my hand away, but she didn't budge again. Mind you, she was holding it for two hours, and while we were talking, she was kind of walking me towards the starting of this dark lane by the road. She then kept on talking about how she wanted to take me to her home and feed me some sweets. That's when it clicked for me. She told me that she lost everything. So how was she going to take me to her home, especially in that dark lane? I got so frightened that I told her I needed to get back home or that my parents would scold me 
and actually started using a bit of force to free my wrist from her grip. That's when she literally started dragging me towards the lane, and was like, No, you fed me snacks. Now you have to take my return gift. I pulled my hand away from her grip with full force, and I straight up ran home. I was breaking out in cold sweats as I reached home, and understandably my parents were angry and confused when I got there. They did understand what happened when I explained the whole situation to them. I was really scared at the time, but I truly feel guilty if she was just a genuinely nice old woman. But it was her vibes, mainly, that were really creepy. I, mid-twenties female, went to the local grocery store around 5pm. It's winter and is getting dark by 5pm where I live. I was in an aisle taking my time deciding between the options, when this late-twenties, early-thirties-looking guy with light features, glasses, and a scruffy beard comes up right next to me, and he just stands there. I didn't think much of it or even look at him at first because I figured, whatever, he's just looking too. But then after a few seconds, I noticed he wasn't moving or doing anything, just standing there. So I looked at him, and he was already staring at me, and for half a second, I thought that he might say something to me. So I stood there for a second, just looking back at him. He didn't say anything, so I just turned and fast walked away. At this point, I'm thinking, okay, that was weird, but whatever. Probably just an awkward guy who doesn't know how to talk to women. Then, not 30 seconds later, I'm in another aisle, and I see him out of the corner of my eye coming down the aisle that I'm in, again staring right at me. So again, I walked away as fast as I could, and went right to the self-checkout. While I was at the self-checkout, I'm looking over my shoulder the whole time, making sure that he isn't behind me anymore, and he's not. I start walking out of the store, relieved that once again I was just being paranoid, and that I wasn't ever in any real danger. As I'm walking out, I decide to look behind me one more time, and there he is, right freaking behind me. I then notice that he has nothing in his hands, no groceries, and he's heading towards the door right on my heels. Without even thinking, I just stop dead in my tracks. I look right at him again, and he's already looking at me and then he puts his head down looking at his phone and walks past me out the door. He bought nothing. I'm so scared at this point that my head is spinning. I didn't know what to do. I could see my car because I parked close to the exit, thank goodness, so I called my fiancé and sprint as fast as I can to my car. I jump in, lock the doors, and start looking for this guy. Then I see him. He's aimlessly walking around the parking lot through the cars. He's pretty far away from me at this point, and I have my fiancé on the phone, so I'm feeling somewhat safe again. I watched him walk around for another few seconds before I got out of there. I have no idea what this guy was doing, or what his motive could have been. Maybe he was just a weird dude who doesn't know how to talk to girls. 
Or maybe he was a predator with dangerous intentions. Or maybe he thought I looked like easy prey for a robbery. The thing I really can't wrap my head around is the fact that each time I noticed him, he was already staring at me. He was not discreet at all, and I would think a dangerous predator might be a little more inconspicuous. He also didn't buy anything from the grocery store, which I also can't understand. I was in the store about five minutes before I noticed him, so I'm sure he didn't follow me into the store. Am I being paranoid? There's a lot that didn't feel right, so I'm having a really hard time trying to rationalize this experience. Definitely a creepy encounter. This happened in November of 2014. I went to Walmart to buy groceries while my 16-year-old daughter was attending her homecoming dance. I tried to do my grocery shopping to coincide with her 11pm pickup. All at once, I realized that it was about 5 till 11pm, and I was still standing in line to get checked out. About that time, one of their customer service supervisors walked by me, and I mentioned to her explaining that I had to pick my daughter up, and if she could hold my cart, I would come back and check out as soon as I picked up my daughter. She agreed and had someone take my carts to the cooler and told me to tell them at the service desk when I got back. So, off I go to pick daughter up, and we arrived back at Walmart at about 11.15pm. My daughter came inside with me, and as we were coming into the store, a man about 50-something walked over in front just past me and peered down the front of my daughter's strapless pink formal which, from a couple of hours of teenage booping around and dancing, had become looser. And he then mentioned what he could do with her, and that she happens to be well endowed. He had a female companion with him when he walked in. I could see him and her out of the corner of my eye. I don't know if this was his girlfriend or a relative of his, but she watched and heard him say this and said nothing. I felt like I was in a stupor. Like, did this just happen? The split second, I was stunned that anyone would have the audacity to walk up and say this to my daughter, right in front of me, her mom, walking right beside her. I became completely enraged, and I stepped between his leering eyes and my daughter. He asked her another inappropriate question, and after stepping in front of him and putting myself between him and my daughter... I asked him if today was a good day for him to die. Honestly, I was running on pure rage and adrenaline, which probably gave me more guts than brains in that moment. He glared at me and tried to walk in tighter and intimidate me. I told him to get the F away, and he finally walked back over to who he was with, but continued to glare at me as they went on inside Walmart ahead of us. I absolutely could not believe that this had actually transpired. My daughter was in tears and scared beyond all reason. I took her straight back to the women's department and had her put on a sweat jacket and zip it up. We paid for it in line with my groceries. If I'd really thought about it and not been running on adrenaline and still having the shock factor going on, in hindsight, I should have left the store, called the police, and 
gone straight home. At the same time, the thought crossed my mind that he might just follow us to the car. And then what? I think if she had been alone regardless of what she was wearing, he still would have approached her. If someone is this brazen inside a public store, what is he capable of in a dark, isolated place? And the whole situation chills me to the bone. I think the only reason he walked away was because I stood up to him and didn't flinch. To have walked up to my daughter, past me on her left, and stand so close to her, and then look down the front of her dress and say what he said to her, is unbelievable. I never thought. I just reacted with pure rage that he would dare to do what he did. I never again went to that Walmart late at night again, and have warned my daughters to always be aware of their surroundings, not to be carelessly talking on their cell phones, and to always pay attention to things coming and going. I was subcontracted at a funeral home for 30 years. It was a very old building, about 100 plus years old. I came in late at night to do the hair on three elderly women after I had finished work at my studio. I heard talking and thought that a funeral director was in the office, or perhaps the radio was left on. So I went to the office across from the room that I was to work in to let the funeral director know that I was there or to turn off the radio as I was alone, but nothing. Upon entering the room that I was to work in with the three ladies, the talking then turned into people yelling at each other. They were unrelated. I was not scared as this was not my first paranormal encounter. I asked if I could help, and they shouted back at me to stay out of it and to mind my own business. I did all of their hair without talking from that point on, as they continued yelling at each other over some event. Perhaps they didn't realize they were dead. It was very weird, and at no point did they try to harm me. I guess after working on the deceased for so long, I just got used to it. I actually have another funeral home story as well. I did the hair on a woman in her late 30s. She had died in a car accident. The story behind this tragedy was the night before the accident. Her husband woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. He woke his wife up to tell her that he had just dreamt that she had died, and that he was standing by her casket just looking at her. It seemed so real. In disbelief and confusion, she said, I just had the same dream. The next day, they were driving in their car. The husband was driving, the wife was in the passenger seat, and their young child and dog were in the back seat. A truck hit them, and she was killed. The husband, child, and dog were unharmed. I've wrestled with social and general anxiety for much of my life, a persistent undercurrent that, while not incapacitating, casts shadows on my confidence. My ability to navigate social realms and find self-assurance owes much to my mother's caring nature, pushing me consistently beyond my comfort zone, 
a few years back, freshly out of college, I embarked on the tumultuous journey into the professional world, a transition that proved to be more nerve-wracking than anticipated. My initial job experience was far from ideal. While I won't name the company, as I bear no animosity towards my manager, who navigated the same turbulent waters, the management and working conditions left much to be desired. This job thrust me into socially challenging situations, especially in the realm of sales, exacerbating my anxiety. Frustrated and seeking relief, I turned to my medical provider, who suggested experimenting with various anxiety medications. Unfortunately, none provided the desired alleviation, though they also didn't entail negative consequences, until I encountered what I now refer to as the demon pills. Now, it's crucial to understand another facet of my experiences. My history of recurring nightmares and occasional episodes of sleep paralysis. These occurrences were potent enough to seep into my waking reality. I vividly recall a night when I felt an ominous tug on my hand hanging off of the bed. Introducing the quote-unquote demon pills only intensified matters. Initially, I faced vague, unsettling dreams that disrupted my sleep. However, the situation escalated dramatically when the demonic figure from my dream began to materialize in my waking world. The first encounter was chilling. I woke up facing the wall, and on it, I perceived a black figure fixated on me. The fear was paralyzing, beyond the typical sensation of sleep paralysis. Over time, these dreams morphed into increasingly complex scenarios. I found myself in what I termed the Hell Bedroom, an indistinct space where I struggled to differentiate between my actual bed and this nightmarish realm. A persistent feeling of being stalked permeated these dreams, heightening my anxiety. One particularly unsettling night, I transitioned from the hell bedroom to a dream of playing basketball with my friends. The abrupt shift, coupled with my friends expressing concern for my well-being, created a surreal narrative. It was as if the demon orchestrated false hope, only to plunge me back into its nightmarish clutches. In another harrowing dream, I found myself surrounded by family, confessing the ordeal to them and seeking help. Strangely, I believed that I was genuinely sharing my experiences and receiving support. It seemed as though the demon wanted me to cling to false hope, only to shatter it, intensifying my fear. As you can imagine, the cycle continued and my grip on reality blurred. I developed a coping mechanism. I would call my dog into the room, and if he responded, I knew I was in reality. Yet the demon transcended dreams, appearing while I was awake. I distinctly remember a night when I believed I had woken up. My dog was in the corner of my eye, but the demon sat at the edge of my bed three-dimensional and menacing presence. Eventually, I decided to discontinue the medication, and things gradually improved. While I still contend with intense nightmares, the demon's influence has waned. 
Just last night, my girlfriend noted the terror in my sleep sounds, prompting me to ponder if these dreams have always been an intrinsic part of me, lurking beneath the surface. Despite the ongoing challenges, I find solace in the fact that, for now, the demon remains subdued. My name is James. I live in a small town in western Pennsylvania, and this happened to me while I was a young child, around 12 or so. I've always watched true crime shows like America's Most Wanted and the like, and I always listened intently to all the PSAs that we got at school warning us of strangers. So, needless to say, I used to get plenty paranoid walking anywhere in my small town. One day, my best friend at the time convinced me to walk to the park with him. We were at my dad's place, which was just up the road and across the bridge. I decided to go, and we headed for the park. But when we reached the bridge, that's when we noticed something. That a white van with dark windows was totally driving slow enough to keep pace with our walking. I immediately got a dreary feeling from this and I could tell that my friend did as well. We looked at each other and began to walk fast, across the bridge and towards the rec center outside the park. But to our horror, the doors were locked, and they were closed. And what's worse, the van pulled into the rec center parking lot. We knew for sure that this was a legit dangerous situation, and we were definitely being pursued by whoever this was. It was terrifying to both of us. I remember we bolted towards the park thinking, hey, they won't do anything here in front of all of these people. But once again, to our horror, the park was empty. I couldn't believe it. And the white van was once again on our trail, this time parked across from the swing set that we were stood by. I could actually now make out the figures inside. Two older-looking dudes one heavy set and one skinny. They were just staring. If only cell phones were big back then. Just when it seemed like things were looking grim, and my friend and I panicked about how to escape the situation, as we waited for whoever it was to make their move, a car that my friend instantly recognized showed up on the scene. That's my aunt! He excitedly exclaimed. We were saved. She took both of us home, and neither one of us said a word. It was soon after this that I would hear of similar incidents like this, as well as young girls saying that this van had catcalled to them and whistled to them. I guess they just liked all kids. What a couple of freaks. I'm sure it was probably some goons. I will never know what would have happened that day had my friend's aunt not showed up. About three years ago, when I was 18, I worked as a waiter in a restaurant in the mall. I'm very introverted, but it has never affected my relationship with my customers. But speaking to people I wasn't serving gave me major butterflies. I had just finished my shift around 1700 and was walking out. 
when I noticed a woman who looked in pain holding her stomach was looking at me. I had to walk past her to get to the exit, and I was trying to avoid her because I was not looking for conversation, and I hated when people asked for money. I know it's selfish, but I worked really hard for the little money that the customers had tipped me that day. I maneuvered my way around the people, but she called out to me. I acted like I didn't hear her and moved faster. Eventually, she ran to me and grabbed my arm, crying. Please, please, brother, I got children, and I have cancer of the tummy. She lifted up her dirty shirt and showed me a large surgery wound across her stomach. I told her that I didn't have anything, but she continued to badger me. Eventually, I just ran to the stairs and went upstairs and saw her chasing, but I was way faster. She slowed down at the second case to catch her breath, and I turned in to get off at the third floor where she could not see me. I took the elevator next to the stairs back to the first floor so I could get to the exit. Eventually, I got to the bus stop and was on my way home. When I got off at my stop, I went to the corner shop to get some bread. At the end of the road, I saw the woman from the mall and her boyfriend. They must have definitely seen me, even though I made an effort to take a longer way home so they wouldn't have seen me. Around 1900, I get a knock at my gate. I live in a house that has two slide gates in front of the main entrance. I looked out the window and, to my horror, I saw the woman and her boyfriend. I stayed quiet and hoped that they would just go away, but they stayed outside my house for two hours until my parents arrived. They begged my parents for money or food to feed their kids. My father found it weird that they were there at 2100, so he told them we didn't have anything, and to get away from the house before they called the police. Surprisingly, they left without any hassle. I told my parents that these people were begging me for money at the mall, and that they had followed me home, and then stayed outside the house for two hours. We never saw them again after that day. Back whenever I was in college, I had a phase where I was very heavily into gaming. I was kind of your stereotypical MMORPG nerd. And if I wasn't in class or studying, I was online and playing with my crew. I'm not gonna lie, I made more friends playing that dumb game than I ever did trying to socialize with my classmates. The people online were more accepting, and were more willing to accept me into their circle even though I was a bit different. It's not fully relevant to the story, but I've always had an issue with self-identity and obviously those years were a time for development. So, it was a bit rough as I was trying to find myself. Thankfully, I had my crew, and I will always be grateful for most of them. Note the word most. There was one guy who, for the sake of the story, we're going to call Gaines. That was part of his username, and that's what we all referred to him as when we were in the crew so it's a valid way to identify him. Gaines seemed like an okay dude, 
from what I knew at first. He was funny. He always had a quip ready or a joke to throw out there, and he knew pretty much everything about the game. He and I became pretty decent friends, often teaming up when no one else was online, and just chatting about random stuff. He was also in college, so we did have some common ground, and I think that that helped quite a bit. It was a fun time, but after a little while, Gaines started getting a bit... weird. He started messaging me out of our gaming sessions, which was kind of this unspoken rule amongst the crew. For whatever reason, we all had this understanding that we only talked to each other in-game, or about the game, and we never tried to get personal with each other beyond just being friends. It was probably an anxiety thing all around, to be honest, but it was what it was. At first, his messages were just friendly banter. He would send me an email about how much he hated the class he was in, how his professor was an a-hole or whatever. Nothing too far out there. I would respond with something short like, Oh, damn man, that sucks. I know how that feels. Just basic responses like that. Then, after a couple days of him messaging me on the side, he pushed further and started asking personal questions. Like where I lived, questions about my family, if I was dating anybody, if I had any younger siblings, which, while unrelated, probably should have been a red flag, and random things about my daily routine. I figured that he was just curious, and probably just as awkward as I was, so maybe he didn't know how to start a proper conversation. I didn't really answer most of the questions that he asked. I mentioned that I wasn't super comfortable telling him about my personal life, and he seemed to agree and understand, saying that he didn't mean to make me feel uncomfortable. Then, out of nowhere, I got another message from him that turned up the creep factor. He mentioned that he found out the two of us, apparently, lived in the same state, and he said that we were practically neighbors. I never told him where I lived. I never mentioned what region of the country I lived in, so this revelation was a bit... jarring. He started to insist that we meet up, saying, Since we get along so well, it'd be stupid for us to not hang out IRL. I mentioned that I would think about it, but that I was super busy with college, and I didn't have much time for a social life. To which he responded, But you have time for the game? I hated that he had a point with that, because he knew when I was in the game, and he knew that it was pretty frequent, mostly because he was also always in the game with all of us. I mentioned that the game was my way of relaxing, and that I wasn't a very social person, and Gaines said, let's just meet up once, and we can see how we like it. I genuinely did not want to meet up with him, but he kept pushing it and pushing it, and I didn't want to pick a fight with someone that was friends with everyone else that I considered a friend. So, I agreed to meet up at a small restaurant on the edge of town, something public and where a lot of people would be just in case. The next day, I got an email from someone else from the crew, 
that asked if Gaines and I were dating. It was a bit weird, but I mentioned no, that I wasn't interested in him, as he wasn't my target demographic, if you get my drift, and then asked why. He then forwarded an email that he had apparently sent to everyone in the crew, except for me, that said he and I were meeting up for the first time after having been in love in an online relationship for months. I was so confused. I told him that we'd been talking for a couple of weeks through email, that he had contacted me, and that he had been pushy about meeting up, and that it was nothing like that. He then told me that I needed to make sure that Gaines knew that, because he apparently had a very different idea of what we were. I was pretty fed up with it at this point. He had made me feel so awkward, and he was so pushy about meeting up, and I had given in because I thought it would be harmless, and I didn't want to make it awkward with our crew. And then he went and made it awkward in his own way. I went ahead and started a message to everyone else, including Gaines, and I made sure to put in the message that he and I were not together, that he was mistaken about our meeting up, and that it was going to be nothing more than as friends. I reiterated what everyone in the group should have known, that I was swinging for the other team, and that I was not interested in him at all like that. Apparently this was the wrong thing to do, and he did not take it very well. About ten minutes after I sent the email, I got a phone call from a blocked number on my cell phone. At first, I ignored it, and then I got another one, so I went ahead and answered it. As soon as I did, the person on the other end, who I learned was Gaines, started screaming at me about how I had ruined his life. Worse yet, as he finished his rant, he ended it by saying, If I ever see you, Elizabeth Mary, you are dead. So he threatened my life and used my first and middle names, which told me he knew who I was, which was terrifying. I had never given him any information about me like that. He knew me by my username, my email wasn't even registered with my real name. It was my character's pseudonym. And then there's the fact that he was able to get my phone number to call me. I have no idea how this person knew so much about me, but he knew where I lived, my name, my number, but it was pretty clear that this was a dangerous individual. I did file a report with the police, since he was threatening me, but I didn't have much information beyond his email and username and that he lived kind of close to the area. The person I was talking to wasn't exactly a tech person, so it was a struggle to explain that I knew him from a video game, but the report was made, and, well, that was it. There was some more banter in the group email about the whole thing, and I mentioned to one of the friends that had reached out to me that Gaines had somehow found all of my personal information. He was nice about it, gave me some tips on things to check and lock down on my social medias, none of which was connected to my game account or email, and I went through what he said. But honestly, there was nothing indicative of how he found me. 
after a while, I just kind of stopped playing the game. I was nervous that I would run into gains, or that the crew would treat me differently, because of all of this. So I stopped playing as much, and eventually I just quit altogether. I do keep in touch with two of the people that were in the group, and it's been a few years, and from what they've told me, after Gaines pulled this, the group sort of dissipated. I also found out that I wasn't the only person in the crew that he had started messaging, and he managed to find all of her personal information as well, and that he apparently threatened her when she rejected him. In the end, I am grateful that nothing really happened, that he and I never ran into each other, and that he just left me alone after all of this. But it was still pretty damn creepy. He had way too much information on me, and I don't know how he found it, but he did. I feel like he could have done much worse, so I guess I'm thankful that he had some restraint in the matter. And nowadays, I only play single-player games or games without comms. I don't want anything like this to ever happen to me again. I was 16 years old. My brother had just turned 20 and had just set up a place to live in Wisconsin. We lived in Toledo, Ohio. Mom drove my brother to the Greyhound bus station and I came along too. I wanted to get one last goodbye before he went. We went at night, because that was the cheapest bus ticket time we could get. Our family was poor. The building had a sit-in lobby with glass doors and glass windows everywhere, but all you could see was dark and the crappy streetlights. Anyway, we waited with my brother for the bus to be prepped, and when this man walked up to the window and stared at me, and this wasn't just a normal stare. I could see it in his eyes. It was an angry, crazed stare that said if I left this building on my own, I'd be dead. I sat really close to my brother, and he looked at me and then the guy, and even he was creeped out. This man's face and body was pressed into the glass. His eyes never left me, mind you. I'm almost 5'3", and a girl, and I didn't weigh much either. My brother got up and went to the counter and asked for someone to escort me and our mom outside. The employee informed my brother that an officer had already been called, and was on their way to escort the man off of the station. I think he had been a problem earlier, and had come back. By the time my brother had got on the bus, the officer arrived, and that guy left, but we were still escorted to our car. I'm 29 now, and I still can't forget that gaze. Living in Toledo, Ohio, I've seen some crazy stuff, but nothing has ever bothered me more than that man's gaze. I have this uncanny ability to sense good and bad people. My husband says it's so weird how I'm able to tell who's a bad person immediately after meeting them. This man was behind glass, said nothing to me, and everything about him scared the crap out of me.
some short backstory. This happened almost a year ago. I'm 19, female, and I live in a small town in Australia. I always take my 13-year-old Jack Russell Mix for a short 20-ish minute walk down the road at around 7 to 7.30 p.m. On this night, I had to take him at about 8 to 8.30 p.m., as I had to work late, and the sun was just setting to the point where I could see, but not too well. That could have also just been my poor eyesight, but it was enough to manage without needing a flashlight. I did have one on me, I just didn't want to use it. We had just made our loop around the small community garden, and as I was leaving the gate, I looked to my right and saw a person in black heading towards me. I was also wearing all black, so we both looked pretty suspicious. But out of panic, I crossed the road and then headed left. They did the same not one second later. I'm a naturally fast walker, but I made myself go faster. All I had to do was cross the road one more time and turn right, go down a few houses, and then I'm home. So, walking faster but not enough to where it was obvious, I crossed the road and turned right. This person did not cross the road but did turn right and stayed on the other side of the road. We were about parallel on the street. I knew that if they crossed, I could run and I wasn't too far from home. When I got into my yard, the person stopped across the road. At this point, I realized the door was locked and I didn't have a key. The person stayed across the road, so I rang the bell and was pounding on the door. My older brother answered, and the person had just made it to our yard. My brother told the person to screw off, and he walked back the way he came. My brother asked who it was, and I explained all this to him. From that day, I've decided to take my dog for a walk before work, in the early morning, rather than after work at night. I do enjoy sunset walks, but for my safety, I've stopped, and still don't even after a year. Hello, Raven, and Happy New Year. I commented the other day on YouTube about a story that you read, the one where the person heard someone breathing when they were going to sleep, and I said that I would write you as I too have had this experience. Please bear with me as this happened a long time ago, and tis a lengthy one. My whole life so far has been one long paranormal experience non-stop from my earliest memories, and I'm in my fifties now. Like a circle, I cannot tell you when it began. It's just my life. It's something to do with the blood, that's what they say in my part of the world anyway, that these things run in families, and it has certainly proved true in my case. Some call it a gift, I don't always think of it as such especially when you're a kid that's so frightened you dare not even get up to pee in the night. I'm at a stage now in my life where I've overcome the fear and either get annoyed at it all or actively ignore the nonsense. I'm not even going to try to convince anyone that I'm telling the truth, because I know that I am, and that's enough for me. I don't need validation, and I'm too tired to massage the skeptics. 
I digress already, but only for a little backdrop to this particular occurrence. And like I said, I can't tell you when exactly the breather made its first appearance. I'm estimating prepubescence, around age 10 or 11. It coincides with the nighttime visits from what I now know to be a hat man, but I don't know if they're connected or separate entities. All I can tell you is that they exist. I'm going back to the early 1980s now. No internet, no information in the very small public library, beyond the story of Borley Rectory and Arthur C. Clarke's Strange World. No journals or magazines or TV programs on the paranormal, at least not in my house. So, no, these people who insist the Hat Man is a phenomena born of creepypasta have got it wrong. Before I get to my experience of him, I will tell you a little of what was going on otherwise. I used to have frequent nightmares, and usually the same general theme, Darth Vader in various ways terrorizing me. Now, I was a Star Wars fan since my dad took me to the cinema to watch the very first movie when it was released. I think I was seven or eight. Neither Darth Vader nor any other character upset me at the time, and it was surprising that it would be years later when these nightmares began. It was always the same kind of thing. It was his breathing. He would just stare and breathe, and I would be paralyzed with fear. Anyone who's had a night terror will understand the indescribable and irrational fear of that type of energy. I would often wake up to my bedclothes pulled up so high they were wrapped around my head, often suffocating, and they would be so tight. Like, not just up over my head, literally wrapped around it. One time they were tied around my throat, and I did panic a bit, because it took me a while to get free of them. I wore nightdresses back then, and they would always be pulled up to my armpits too. I always felt like there was something in the room watching me after I woke up, a very uncomfortable and frightening thing. It would sometimes dissipate, and sometimes hang around, just a quietly menacing presence. I would be petrified, and unable to move at times. One night, I even tried to sleep in the built-in wardrobe just to feel secure and away from it. And strangely, I never mentioned these terrors to my parents. I was a considerate child, and I knew that they had their own worries, so it never occurred to me to add to them. I was also raised to be somewhat stoic and resilient, and so I didn't share problems easily. It wasn't apparent then, it's only in later life that I have wondered if this was the breather that I encountered later on, because the raspy way Darth would breathe was similar to what I would hear with my awake ears years later. I had reached the age of 12 or 13 when I first remember the thing in the hat. My father liked to socialize regularly, but my mother hardly ever did. She didn't like alcohol, and she was a little reserved in company, but I persuaded her to go one New Year's Eve to the club with Dad and enjoy herself. She didn't want to leave me in the house, but I convinced her that I was a big girl now and I would be fine, and the club was only at the bottom of our road, and I was responsible enough to come get them if I needed to. So, reluctantly, 
she went. It turns out that she enjoyed herself playing bingo and would accompany Dad more often from then on. That's when the thing in the hat would turn up, and I would regret trying to socialize my mother. That first night, I stayed up watching TV until it finished. Yes, I'm talking of the time when we had three channels, and they stopped broadcasting at midnight. I would have gone to bed earlier, but I kept getting a creepy feeling from outside the room. And I thought that I kept hearing noises on the stairs. But every time I checked, there was nothing to see. I eventually dragged myself up them to the sanctuary of my room and went to bed. I didn't want my mom's first night out to be spoiled by seeing me scared when she came home. I told her not to worry about me, hadn't I? I had to prove myself. I was dropping into the haze of sleep. I could see the light from the landing under my door. I heard my parents come home and my dad came up the stairs. I saw the shadow of his feet under my door, so I shut my eyes and pretended to be asleep. I wanted to show that I was responsible enough to get myself to bed on time, but dad didn't come into my room. I waited and waited, and then I peeped and saw him in the open doorway. I don't remember hearing the door open. He was in dark shadow. I couldn't see his features at all, and he seemed taller. I wondered why he had a hat on. Pretty sure he didn't go out with a hat on. The only hat he had that resembled that shape was his uniform hat. He was an ambulance man, and in those days, they wore a kind of peaked broad hat. I don't know what the style is called. Kind of like an old bus conductor's hat. And why would he wear that to go out in? My dad was a very smart man of his generation. Always wore a collar and a tie. Always fixed his hair even when staying in the house. This was not making sense. He just stood in the doorway. Staring and not moving to the point where it creeped me out. My dad had never frightened me before, even when he was drunk. He was a happy drunk. I was about to pluck up the courage to ask what he was doing, when I heard the dog downstairs get excited, and my mom and dad came home. Mom asked dad to come check on me if he was going upstairs to the bathroom. FYI, I tried to get the dog to sleep in my room, but she absolutely would not stay. The next thing I remember, the dark shape was gone, and Dad came up the stairs, full of joy and beer and a good night out. There were more incidents like this to follow, and many others ones besides, some far more frightening. A darkness, bad luck, ill health, and hardship descended on our family, and I do see that as the turning point, but I want to tell you now more about the breather. So fast forward. I'm 25 years old. My mother had died not a year since, and my dad was ill in the hospital. I had traveled a very long way from one end of the country to the other to come home. It was late, and I was exhausted. The dog had passed not long after mum, and I was alone in my old room in the cold, dark, empty house. I flopped into bed, and was nodding off when I heard his breathing. At first... I thought it was me, or maybe the duvet as it rose and fell. I tried to rationalize it every way possible, 
I was stressed. I was tired. I was imagining it, etc. The breathing was timed with mine, but just a split second behind. It was really weird, but at that point I was more curious than afraid. I stopped my breath to reassure myself that I was going insane, but the other breathing continued. It was undeniable that it was not me. I was so tired and full of grief that I didn't feel the least bit afraid at that point. I was angry, and I shouted, Shut the F up, I need to sleep! And it breathed once more, and then stopped. It was not the end of it, though. My dad came home, and I cared for him until he passed away. Not 16 months after Mum. In that time, we had all kinds of stuff happening, and my dad always managed to find an explanation until one night the breather paid him a visit too. He still tried to rationalize it, but failed. I had a boyfriend stay over with me one night, and I hadn't told him about the breather. We were just settling down to sleep when it came by the side of the bed, with its raspy, labored, all-too-familiar old man-type breathing always timing its inhalations and exhalations with mine. It was bloody strange. I didn't say anything and tried to ignore it when the boyfriend said, Can you hear that? So, again, confirming to me that it wasn't all in my imagination or a stress response. I have puzzled over this phenomena for years and never found an answer as to what it was or why it was bothering me. I always wondered if it had a hand in my mother's death. She died in bed age 54 of no known cause, though they spent six weeks trying to find one. She was very susceptible to spirits, and this is where I get it from, and my children too. We've always been pestered by them. Plenty more things happened in that house, and after Dad passed, things got really hairy. But I think I've rambled on for far too long already, so maybe I'll write again another time. Sorry this was so long-winded. I didn't think it made much sense without all the details. I really hope that someone out there can tell me what the heck the breather is, and if it's cursed us, how to break that. Because I do feel at times like I am haunted, and it affects my whole family regardless of where we live. Thank you for reading this, Raven, and for providing a space to share. God bless, and best of wishes for 2024. As a teenager, I waited tables in a local restaurant to pay for the gas for my car. I met Mr. Creep there. In my naive mind, he seemed normal at first, despite the fact that he was 20 and was wanting to date a 17-year-old. Leaving my job after dark scared me, so I taught myself to get in my car, shut the door, and lock it in one fluid motion. It made me feel safe. One night, I was leaving work, and had just gotten into my car when Mr. Creep seemed to appear out of nowhere yanking on my car door handle to try to open it. I looked into his eyes for the split second before he smiled. 
and what I saw absolutely chilled my bones. I don't know how to describe the evil that I saw. From then on, I was terrified of him, but I didn't let on because I was afraid of what he might do if I told him that I never wanted to see him again. After this, he constantly lied to try to impress me, and tried to invent ways of being alone with me, but my instinct was to run, so I avoided him. About two weeks after this incident, the restaurant got robbed, and there was significant evidence against Mr. Creep, just not the kind that allowed the cops to charge him. I sent all of my text conversations with Mr. Creep to the police chief in hopes that it would help. Mr. Creep slithered away after that, but I was always looking over my shoulder. About five years ago, he messaged me on Facebook out of the blue. He went on about his top-secret military clearance, as well as a huge acreage that he owned. It made me nervous, and I felt like he was trying to spring a trap or something, but I tried to put it out of my mind. Then, today, I was looking at posts about an unsolved murder when I saw his mugshot. He's now facing murder charges, as well as two other violent felony charges. I'm so glad to know that he's locked up, but so overwhelmed about how correct my instincts about Mr. Creep were. I feel like I escaped him. When I, female, 20, was younger, maybe around 13 to 14, I was walking to town with my mother. I live in a small-ish town in England. It was a quick walk, 15 minutes, but about five minutes after leaving the house, I had one of the most unsettling encounters ever. Whilst walking, there was a man approaching us. Nothing weird at this point. I thought he would walk past us like everyone else. However, this random man leaned in towards me as he walked past, and he whispered something to me. I remember it being creepy, and along the lines of him knowing where I lived. It was subtle and it happened quickly. I was shocked, especially since my mother was right next to me. Bold move from a creepy guy. I recall the man being possibly in his late 20s, kind of scruffy looking, a little chubby with longish brown hair and a beard, but I knew that I had never seen him before this point. I waited a few seconds for us to distance ourselves from the stranger, and then turned to my mom completely freaked out, and quietly asked if she heard what the guy had said. She said that she didn't. I thought maybe I had misinterpreted the situation or misheard him then. We kind of brushed it off and continued with our day. I felt uneasy but tried not to think about it. The rest of the day was fairly normal. Until the morning after when my dad was talking to our neighbor. Neighbor told my dad that during the early hours of the morning, there was a man lurking right outside of our houses for some time. He was hovering around my dad's and my neighbor's car. Now, this is really weird because we live in a kind of closed-off area. The only people that we see outside of our homes are neighbors. 
but even they wouldn't come right up to our doors. Especially not at like 2 to 3 in the morning. Even delivery drivers can't find our house most of the time because we're so hidden away. This has never happened before and never happened again after this. At least, to our knowledge. Of course, you can imagine how absolutely terrified I was to hear this. I explained to my dad what had happened the day before, and reminded my mom, kind of an I told you so moment. I felt so scared to be in my own home. I remember calling my friend and talking about the situation. We researched about what we could do, but there wasn't really any action that we could take. We just had to be observant and cautious, I guess. I can't remember much about what happened after that, but I never saw the man again. And the whole situation creeps me out, and it doesn't make sense. The man outside my house wasn't confirmed to be the same man that walked past me earlier, as it was too dark to make out any discernible figures, but it sure is an amazing coincidence if so. I never knew where to talk about this experience, but I figured it belongs here. I would love to hear any opinions and theories. So, this just happened. Well, it was yesterday evening. I can't sleep, and I'm freaked out. I, 28 female, live in an apartment with my boyfriend, 25 male. And the apartment is a half-basement. That means that we're half underground, but still high enough to have big windows and some sunlight. We are comfortable in this place. We like it. We feel at home, so... Sometimes, when we get out of the shower or something, we're comfortable walking around naked. This is our home, and we do as we please. We have blinds, but sometimes, since our cat enjoys looking outside through the windows, we keep it a bit open. It's a calm and serene neighborhood. Not many people passing by into big, empty space with transmission towers on the other side of the street, so no one is facing us. We felt safe here. Until yesterday. As always, after a late meal, we jumped in the shower, talking, laughing. It was late. We were trying to prepare quickly since we have to wake up early in the morning. Once out of the shower, I realized that we forgot to pack our lunch. Not caring, I went into the kitchen and started packing. Naked, my back to the window. I'm not sure if I heard something or if I simply turned around, but as I checked briefly at the window, I saw it. Right outside, almost touching the glass, was a man, butt naked, fondling himself in my window as he was looking at me. I only saw his legs and junk. I jumped, quickly moved out of sight, screaming at my partner that someone was touching themselves in the kitchen window. My boyfriend saw Red. He quickly got dressed and ran out looking for the pervert as I called 911. We didn't catch him. He ran away, but we saw no one outside. We heard no doors in our apartment building, but my boyfriend heard voices in the building next to us. The police say that we must have scared him, but the only one scared now is us, or shall I say mostly me. Me. 
We are busy people, but most of the time I'm alone in the apartment. I take the bus alone, I take the trash out alone. My boyfriend is at work a lot, and that's okay, he needs to be. But now I'm just scared. This pervert knew when and where to look, and we already caught him doing it. It was just a few days back. I just saw legs outside my window and I jumped, but I didn't see what he was doing. So, he's been looking for quite a few nights inside my home to see me naked. What if instead of frightening the pervert, we pissed him off? What if he comes back when I'm alone, or when I'm walking outside? I can defend myself, but this stuff is scary. I have been SA'd in the past, and this is not helping with the healing process or the paranoia. Our landlord knows, and he lent us a surveillance camera, but I just hope that it's enough. Hey there, friends. I hope that you enjoyed this collection of scary stories on this episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. If you did, make sure that you follow the podcast on whatever platform that you're utilizing. And if the platform you are on has a rate the podcast option, please consider doing so. Those ratings push the podcast into the algorithm, and we all know how the algorithm controls everything, so yeah. I also do have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash asthereavendreams, you can support the channel further. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get early access to all of my content in audio format. The content's a little different, as it's based on what I upload to my YouTube side, but it's the same stories. Just in different collections of stories than how they're presented here. Speaking of stories, if you have one you would like to submit to me, please go to asthereavendreams.com and click the button in the middle of the screen that says Submit Your Story. Now, these stories are mostly sourced by listeners, so let's keep the podcast alive. If you've got one, I'd love to read it. Anyways, friends, I hope you're all having a beautiful day and a lovely week, and I hope I see you again very soon. But until then, remember you're loved, you're valid, you're important. You're the best you that you can be, never forget it. And until next time, much love and sleep well.